This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Many of you all know that my wife is a school teacher, and just this year she changed schools. And she now is working at a large Christian school in Charlotte. And this Christian school has a football team. So she texted me the other day on Friday and she said, Hey, why don't we go tonight and watch the football game at our school? I said, Okay. You know, Friday it was a little taste of fall, if you remember. A little crispness in the air. So we got our folding chairs. And we got our Chick-fil-A sandwiches, because you can't enjoy a game without one. And we sat ourselves there at the sidelines, and the game began. And both of the teams came out onto the field, and they were big guys. Okay, it was going to be a football game, and I was excited. It's been a long time since I've been to see a live football game, pro or high school or whatever. And I was excited, and we were geared up, and I had my, my drink, and I had my sandwich, and I was ready. And we were down close to the end zone. And Susan was a little worried because they only had bleachers and they had bleachers enough there for the parents. And so for the rest of us, we had our canvas chairs. And Susan said, you know, I'm afraid of sitting here. I said, why? She said, because what if one of the players coming to run a touchdown uh, misses and, and they fall into us? I said, then we'll move quickly out of the way. And uh, so she says, well, I said, but we're fine here. We're good. Well... We really didn't have to worry about that anyway, because as we were going through the first quarter and the second quarter, and I don't say this with any pride, at least I'm trying not to, but the other team never got down to our end zone, quite frankly. It was actually hard to watch because we were down there. It was hard to see the game going on down on the other side of the field. First quarter went by, second quarter went by. The score was our team 41, the... Opposing team zero. And I thought, you know, you're getting tired, ready to go home. Yeah, let's go on home. And I thought, well, I was afraid to stay because I did not want to, you know, God bless them, that other team played hard. You hate to see someone lose that badly. And I didn't think I wanted to be there to see the scoreboard say 82 to zero. Okay. So we went ahead. It was getting late anyway. So we went on home. And the next morning I got up and I got on the webpage of, of Susan's school and I checked and, uh, they must have ended that game early anyway because the final score was 47 to 0. And I can't believe that team held our team back from scoring anymore. But you know, it was a nice victory. It was nice to see, but you kind of, you kind of felt bad for that other team. They worked hard, good kids. They're doing a great job. But you know, that's the way things are. In life, as it goes around, there are winners and losers. And as we look at Revelation and we see the end of the story of humanity, we see that even in humanity and in life, there are winners and there are losers. But we're going to kind of redefine that a little bit as we get into this this morning. So we're going to be in Revelation 19, and we're going to talk about the millennial kingdom. And if you remember Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, Part of his pattern for prayer was in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. And he said, here's the way you should pray. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's part of our prayer pattern. As we pray, we should pray for God's will in our lives and on this earth. And quite frankly, 
as we live our lives and as we move about as believers, we can sort of bring the kingdom in, if you will, in the sense that as we obey him and honor him, and we do his will and we allow his will to be done, in a real sense, his kingdom is here operating and functioning and moving through the earth. So in a sense, as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we yield to him, surrender Him, and walk, to him and walk with him, technically speaking, we are performing the works of his kingdom. But the Bible does tell us throughout the Old Testament, and even Jesus tells us in the New Testament, there is a literal kingdom coming to this earth. It is known as the millennium. It is called that because according to the passage we're going to look at this morning, it will last 1,000 years. And this kingdom will come and Christ will reign and it will be a kingdom of peace and prosperity and Christ will himself will reign from Jerusalem sitting on the throne of David. But as we approach that kingdom, and we've already looked at Christ's second coming, and we've looked at the defeat of the Antichrist and the godless kingdoms of this world, we see that, yes, there are winners and losers in that. But it's not quite like a football game or a competition. Instead of thinking of winners and losers, maybe think of the won and the lost. Because like the football players on my wife's school's team, they worked hard, they were talented, they played a good game. They won that game. And the other team, despite their best efforts, they lost that game. Christianity is not like that, actually. We're not in competition with each other. And Christianity and salvation is not something that we win. Talking with people, I say, do you know you're going to heaven? Some people say, well, I hope I make it. I hope I get there. I think I've done enough. I think I qualify. Listen, it's not a qualification. It's not a competition. It's not a game. Reality is heaven has been won already. Salvation has been won. Jesus Christ did the fighting, the struggling, the dying. In his death on the cross, we sang about the fountain filled with blood. His death on the cross won salvation for all who would receive him by faith. There's nothing left for you and I to do. You and I don't have to qualify for heaven because quite frankly, we cannot qualify for heaven. We're all sinners, broken and lost. And so heaven is not something that we win. It has been won for us. So in a sense, we are not the winners. We are the one. He won us by his effort. And it's the same with those who reject Christ. We say the losers, and that name has a horrible connotation to it, as though somebody doesn't measure up. And the reality is, all of us, in that sense, are losers. We don't measure up to heaven. We never will. If that's why Jesus had to come and die for us, because we were losers. Everybody. But he won salvation. He won heaven. And provides it to all by faith but there are those who reject him. And rather than thinking of them as the losers, maybe think of them as the lost. Those walking in our midst today who don't know Christ, they are lost. And it's not that we're better than they are because we're not. 
As the old saying goes, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find the food. We didn't win anything. We have nothing to be proud of. As a matter of fact, it is pride that doomed humanity to hell. But those who don't know Christ are lost. And the sad, difficult truth is those who die in that condition are lost for all eternity. That's a very difficult truth to swallow, a very difficult bite of reality to choke down, but it is true. And as we move to the end of human history, as we're coming to the close of the book of Revelation, we've already seen the grand and furious battle of Armageddon. In spite of seven years of judgment and divine justice, when Jesus Christ returns in a, in, a, in a blaze of glory with his saints, they still turned on him as we saw last week. They will still fight against him and he will prevail. It always amazes me how we can still fight against God even though the evidence is stacked against us and for him. And the lost dying in that condition will may, remain forever lost. And as God kingdom, God's kingdom is ushered into this planet at the end of that tribulational period when Christ comes back, there's an interesting contrast. Because if we understand the biblical uh, record and the rapture is carried out, God's people will be taken up. And that seven-year period of tribulation begins with all unsaved people. But throughout those seven years, God, God's grace still reaches out. God's grace still extends a hand and people will get saved during the tribulation period. We saw the martyrs in the tribulation at the, at the altar of God and scenes of heaven from Revelation crying for God to avenge them. And of course, at the end of that tribulation period, the saints of God, Old Testament and New Testament, will return with Christ. He will defeat the arming, armies of the world and the leaders of the world. He will cast the, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet into this lake of fire. And that new kingdom will begin with all saved. Those who are redeemed in centuries past, raised to glorified bodies, and those saved who survived the tribulation period will, will, be, will be continuing to live. And they will thrive and they will have families but the earth will be a completely different place. Jesus Christ himself in all of his glory will rule from Jerusalem. And as we dive into this passage, it begins with a bit of satisfaction for those who are believers. Because oftentimes the Bible reminds us that there is a devil. This great angel who rebelled against God in eternity past and now lives to destroy, defeat, kill, and to steal. He's known by the names of Lucifer, the dragon, Satan, which means the accuser, devil, which means destroyer. He is powerful, but he is not like God. Don't, under, don't misunderstand. It's not like the force or it's not like the the, the ancient Chinese symbol of good and evil. They're not equal, but fighting. The devil is just a created being. God is sovereign. 
And as we see, the devil exists only to give humanity a choice between God and not God. But we come to this first part of chapter 20, where the devil finally gets his due. Okay. People say, oh, the devil's giving me difficulty. The, devil, the devil's harassing me. Some people, when they're struggling and, and having difficulty, they'll tell their friend, well, the devil's busy. But the reality is the devil is just one being. He's not like God. He can't be everywhere at once. So if you're being harassed, harangued, and hassled by spiritual forces, it's not the devil. The devil doesn't even know who you and I are. He's busy picking on the president of the United States, the premier of China, the heads of state back and forth. But his minions are out there. The principalities and powers are out there. But as we jump into chapter 20, the first several verses are quite satisfying because the devil will get his due. Join me in chapter 20 as we pick it up in verse 1. And we see first, after Christ has come, he's establishing his kingdom, we see the binding of Satan. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. He said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. Do you remember the bottomless pit? the place of what we think of as hell, and a great chain in his hand. Verse 2, And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old from the Garden of Eden, of course, who was the devil and Satan, and notice, and bound him for a thousand years. This is speaking of that thousand-year kingdom that Christ is going to come and establish. Some, some, some teachers say this is an analogy. That the thousand years is just a sort of a way of saying it's a long time. But no, he says a thousand years six times. And in the context of this book, there's no reason to doubt that it is a thousand years, literally. And as we said at the beginning of this series, the best way to interpret Revelation is to interpret it plainly and honestly. And so he takes the devil and he bound, binds him for a thousand years, verse 3. And he, has, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Stop. So we see the devil being captured. The Bible tells us in First and Second Peter that the devil today is, is moving around. It says he is like a roaring lion moving to and fro among the earth, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is quite active in this world. His minions are quite active in this world. Deceiving and, and, and destroying. Going after families. Going after ministries. Seeking to tear down governments. Why is he doing that? Because misery loves company. The devil was judged. Cast out of God's presence. Cast to the earth. Sin was judged and defeated on the cross of Christ. The devil is now living on borrowed time. Why does he still get to move freely? Because again, God wants his humanity, his creation to choose him freely. And in order to choose good, there has to be a negative choice as well. But the time is coming that he is going to be bound. He's going to be captured 
No longer will the devil roam to and fro throughout the earth like a roaring lion. That lion is going to be captured. I was reading an article just the other day that they captured an alligator in South Florida. And I don't know if I've got the size exactly right, but it was over a thousand pounds and nearly 15 feet long. Yeah. Looked like a dinosaur. And the guy that was involved in capturing this monster, his, his quote was, I thought I was going to die in the process. I looked at the picture of that booger. He was huge. He looked like he could consume even me. And want a, a, a snack afterwards. He was big. And I know that people down in South Florida, and yes, there are people that live in and around the Everglades, believe it or not. My car broke down around the Everglades once. But the thing is, they rested because, man, that beast is gone. He's not going to disturb anyone anymore. When I was growing up in Tampa, we had neighborhoods that had little streams and creeks behind them. And we had a man in a neighborhood near our church that had a, street, a stream or a creek. And gators lived in it. They weren't that big. They were small gators. And this gentleman thought he was being helpful. And he would go out every morning and throw packages of bacon out to the gators. Until one morning he forgot. And the next morning when he went out to go, he noticed his dog wasn't there. The gator got his dog. So these creatures, when they're destroyed, that's good. Listen, the lion that is roaring to and fro, the devouring, horrible creature, he will be caged and captured. Notice it also says he will be chained. He will be bound. There will be no more freedom for him. That should satisfy us. Think of the world, how satisfied and gratified it was. In April of 1945, when the word came out that Adolf Hitler, the scourge of Europe, killed himself in his bunker as the Allies were invading Berlin. There was dancing and celebrating in the streets. They called it VE Day, Victory in Europe, because a monster had been destroyed. So yes, the devil, Satan, that old serpent, will one day be captured and he will be chained. And the Bible says he will also be confined or, or bound and sealed up. In other words, he's going to be taken out of the way. As a matter of fact, we're reminded of this in Isaiah chapter 24 where it says in verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones on, and on the earth, the kings of the earth. One day, all that is evil will be removed and taken out of the way. Again, I don't know how your week has been. I don't know what kinds of things you've had to deal with and struggle with. I don't know if you've had issues. And I had an issue just this morning that caused me great sadness and difficulty. And it just reminds me and makes me long for the day when all the demons and demonic hosts and the devil one day will be taken out. I don't know about you, but that does provide tremendous hope. It helps me to understand that as bad as it gets here, one day it's going to be over. And God is going to bind the devil. He's going to capture him, chain him, and confine him. 
But notice what it says as we finish up verse 3. It says, they, it says he was captured, thrown in the bottomless pit, shut up, and set a, they set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. But I stopped there. Notice the rest of it, till the thousand years were finished. Wait a minute. Wait, what? But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, I don't have time to elaborate too much on that. thing. This is actually going to be next week's message. Because iteration of this statement comes further in this chapter. Suffice it to say that at the end of that thousand year reign of peace and, and prosperity under Christ, the devil's going to be let out again for a little while. He's going to be allowed to deceive and confine. And he's going to be allowed to harass. Why would Christ do that? Why would he do that? And believe it or not, it is again another chance for him to give an offer of a choice. You see, it's, it's, it's a fallen, broken world we live in. Full of evil and deception. Full of heartache and struggle. It seems like it surrounds us every time. But in the millennial kingdom of Christ, and let me encourage you on your own to read Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a wonderful detail of the splendor and wonder that will be the kingdom under Christ. Go home tonight. Read that as part of your devotion time. Isaiah chapter 11. Write it down. Read it. Because it speaks of the paradise that will be the earth under Christ's reign. Isaiah tells us elsewhere in the first several chapters that during this kingdom, all of humanity will come and gather toward Jerusalem to listen and hear him. To be taught by him, to learn from him. The Bible says that it, it will be such a paradise that the lion will lay with the lamb. And the lamb will be outside the lion's stomach. That children will be able to play with the adders and the snakes, Dan. Dan and I still won't. But uh, there will be no war. There will be no sorrow. And yes, people will live long lives. And they will be having children. And they will live under the rule of the king. But God wants to give humanity one more time to choose Jesus. Even in the midst of a perfect kingdom. Even in the midst of a, an idyllic paradise. God wants to give people one more choice, one more chance. And so Satan will be released, as we're going to see next week, but he'll be subsequently defeated in short order. We'll talk about that more next week. But for that thousand years, it is going to be a time of paradise, a time of wonder. And so we see Satan bound, captured, chained, and confined. And that should satisfy us. And during the binding of Satan, we're going to see the blessing of the saints. Let's continue on. Verse 4. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And so this kingdom will be made up of not only the, the saved and glorified saints of the, old, of, the, of, of the Old and New Testaments, but it will also be made up of those resurrected saints 
and those who survived during the tribulation period. And the Bible says there'll be thrones and there'll be judgment concerning those saints. And there'll be some people who will be sitting on those thrones. Who will that be? Well, let's talk about this kingdom. Verse Luke chapter, as we look at the, 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 the scripture here in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is talking to his disciples toward the end of his ministry, he says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, speaking of his disciples. And I bestow upon you a kingdom. And just as my father bestowed upon me, and you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It seems that Jesus' disciples will be sitting on these thrones judging and leading and some have even said the saints in the church will be judging and leading. That's a little vague, but it perhaps could happen. I don't know. But nonetheless, this is going to be a time of great joy and celebration. Because the vengeance that was prayed for by these tribulational saints who were murdered and, and, and martyred during this time, there will be reckoning and reward. And so as we look at this, we see the resurrection of the just. These slaughtered saints will be raised again. And many Old Testament saints will be raised again. Now, while spiritually they've been with the Father, now they will receive their new and glorious bodies. And we see the rule of the just. The rule of the just. Think about that just for a minute. Ever since we were children and things didn't go our way, what did we say? That's not fair. Okay, have you had children that say that to you? Here, son, here's this. Well, that's not fair. How come he gets that and I don't? Here, dear, no, that's not fair. She shouldn't have that. You know, you hear children say that all the time, don't you? Oh, they're just kids. But you know what? We say it too. We sure do. Now, we may not stomp our feet and say, that's not fair. Although... I've been on social media too, and I've seen the same thing. And the reality is, in this context that we're living in today, life under the sun, as Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes, is seldom fair. It's seldom fair. We live in a fallen, broken, struggling world. It's not fair. The only justice we have comes from God. We need to seek His justice. And we need to be just. That's what the Old Testament prophet said. He said, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We need to treat people fairly. That's a witness to God. But you know what? Jesus understands injustice because He endured the cross of Calvary. He was scourged, he was tortured, he was nailed physically, beaten in a bloody pulp and then nailed to the cross and hung there for, for hours, struggling. And I, honestly, as you look at that, that wasn't fair. You talk about injustices committed against you. Think of Jesus who died for sin he never committed. He suffered for crimes he never did. 
He bought and paid for sin. And it was a bill he personally didn't owe. So he understands what injustice and unfairness is. He took the blame for my sin and took the blame for your sin. He had never sinned. But one day in Christ's kingdom, as we rule and reign with him, there will be justice and fairness. As a matter of fact, it will be an idyllic kingdom. It will be an idyllic time. And it's going to be splendid. Isaiah 11, read the details. Those who had died for the name of Christ, who had not yet received their resurrection body, will be raised. And it is believed by some Bible teachers that that resurrection began at the catching away, or what we call the rapture of the church. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Who are the dead in Christ? Those of our loved ones and friends who have gone on before us. They are with the Lord, but they have not received their resurrection bodies. One day, they, the graves, all these graveyards will burst open of the saved who have, been, who have died, and their bodies will rise and be changed. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we will be changed. And that resurrection continues and phases throughout until this time of the kingdom when all the saints will one day be raised up and enjoy the time with him. And there'll be some tremendous rejoicing. You talk about enjoyment. You talk about celebration. It says as we continue in verse 4, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. There is a, a body that will be raised to new life. And all of those different resurrections, Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of that eternal resurrection. So what is the bottom line? We could get bogged down in the theological details that, created, that have created debate for 2,000 years, but the reality is the bodies that we're in now are not the bodies we're going to spend eternity in. And I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled to death about that. I'm excited about my new home in heaven. I'm excited that in heaven I will have, and you will have, if you know Christ, a resurrected body with no more pain, no more fatigue, no more disease. I don't know what Jenna's going to do in heaven because she's not going to have patience to worry about. Maybe she'll cook. That'll be good. She's a good cook. That's what I want to do in heaven. I want to cook too. But we'll be raised up, living with new glorified bodies, and we will never know death or aging. Amen. It's a shame when you wake up in the morning and you're such in such pain and you didn't do anything. But wow, we're going to be in heaven. And I'll tell you another thing that's not going to happen in heaven. We're not going to say goodbye anymore. So they lived. This is the first resurrection beginning with Christ and the catching away of the saints all the way until the end of this thousand years when finally that resurrection so many phases, all the bodies will be raised. And notice the rejoicing, blessed, verse 6. And holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. What in the world is the second death? Well, the Bible tells us that we're all, unless we're captured and raptured away, we're all going to die once. 
This, not, this life isn't forever here. Our bodies get old, sick, tired, we die. That's the first death. We're going to die. And if we know Christ, we then go to be in heaven with him. But those who don't know Christ, they're going to die too. The atheist, the skeptic, the lost. And the Bible will tell us as we get into it later, just let me clarify briefly now, that at the end of that thousand years, they will also be raised up. But then they will be judged and then they will be again cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible calls that the second death. What does death mean? Well, death means separation. When I die physically, my body separates from my soul and spirit. When I die, they're not going to bury Mike Farley or cremate Mike Farley. Mike Farley is going to be with the Lord because I trusted Christ as my Savior. I will move and be with him. So there's a death, a separation. That second death is going to be when the lost will be separated yet again, but from God for all eternity. And we can talk and debate about the physicalities of hell, the torments of hell, but the, the actual torture of hell from scriptural viewpoint is separation from God forever. That is the second death. So here's a little mantra that I've shared with you before. Remember it again. If you're born twice, you only die once. In other words, all of, how many of y'all were born physically? Raise your hand. Okay, that should be everybody. Always have somebody going, oh no, honey, what's wrong with We're all born. If you know Christ as Savior, when you trusted him, you were born a second time. You were born again. Born twice. And then you'll only die once. Because you'll live forever with him. But if you're only born once, the physical birth, and you die without Christ, then you will die twice, physically and ultimately spiritually for eternity separated from him. So what's the answer? Trust Christ as your Savior. So he's talking about this, Blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. We're going to look at the second death next week. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him again for a thousand years. There will be a millennial kingdom where they'll be reigning and ruling and celebrating. As a matter of fact, thousand years is mentioned six times in this passage. So this will be a time, as you look at the world around you today, and man, it's a mess, I understand that. It seems every time we open our device to look at the news or we listen to the radio or we turn on TV or pick up a newspaper, there's corruption in government, violence in the streets, perversion in our culture. It seems, I don't know about you, but it seems like people are angrier today than they once were. People are less patient, less kind. We're becoming more divided. We have threats in our world from... North Korea and Russia and China and all of these nations, Iran. And it seems like, and it's always been this way to some extent. It's not that this is something new, but it seems because I guess we know more and have more information, we see it. But the encouragement is one day this will all be over. And that's just on a global scale. Look at your life this morning. What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with today? 
Some of us are dealing with physical maladies and struggles. Others, family issues, financial burdens that we seem to not able to deal with. It's all one day going to be in the past. If you know Christ as Savior, this is just, as James says, it's just a breath, a vapor that appears for a moment and passes away. And life is that way. Just this summer, we celebrated my daughter's 25th birthday, and I sat there and I thought, we just brought her home from the hospital as a little baby. And now she's 25. Time goes by like that. But one day, we will be in eternity. Oh, I can't wait. So the blessing of the saints is this. There will be a resurrection of the just. One day all those who have believed on Christ, Old Testament, New Testament, and today, will be given brand new glorious bodies and will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years, the devil is going to be released for a time. But as we'll see next week, he will be finally and ultimately defeated. And then we'll move into a relationship, fellowship, an existence that will be eternal. The rule of Christ will be just and there will be eternal rejoicing. Daniel sums it up in Daniel chapter 12. We went through Daniel a year or two ago. And in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. In other words, there's going to be a resurrection. Even the lost are going to be raised and given new bodies, and we'll see next week what becomes of them. But at this time, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Notice this, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting content. contempt. We think of winners and losers, and again, this is more like the one and the lost. And the difficult, sad reality is there are those walking among us who don't know Christ as their Savior. Family members, friends, we talked about this last week. That if they were to die in that condition, they would be separated from God forever. You know, as we do church and as we do community here, we get... We had a business meeting Wednesday, thought it went real well. Got a business meeting this week. And we talk about the business of the church, the, the, the uh, where's Brett, the minutia of the church. We talk about this team and that group and this thing and that thing. And we talk about the buildings and the parking lots. And, we talk, and all these things are important to maintain our organization. But at the end of the day, the most important the most important viewpoint of the church must be winning the loss to Jesus Christ. That is where our energies need to both be focused. That is why we should have this building in the parking lot. That is why we have children's ministry, senior adult ministry, youth ministry. Because our main job as those who have been one to Christ, by Christ, 
Our main job should be to go out and bring those lost to a state of being one to Christ. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll say it till I retire and you get sick of me saying it. The most important work of the church happens Monday through Saturday. You're the church. You go out in the world. Because there's coming a day when all the dead will rise and some many will come to everlasting life. But there are some who won't. People that you know. People that we love. Well, if we love them, we need to do everything we can to make sure they're with the one. And Daniel goes on to say this as we finish this morning. He says in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Now listen to this very carefully. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Now stop. As Aaron said this morning, we talked about Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And we saw the contrast of humility and honor. And we live in a day and age where everybody's a celebrity or everybody wants to be a celebrity. Look at me, look at me. Well, my brothers and sisters, our job is to point people to Christ. Look at Christ, look at Christ. If we are to shine at all, it should be to reflect His glory and Him. That's what He's saying. If you're going to be wise, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And notice this next sentence. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. You know, one day... Those who are wise will shine forever. There'll be reward and glory for those who bring people to Christ, but it will be God's reflected glory. If you're a believer, if you name the name of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, whatever label you like, I'm going to ask you point blank. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? The good news of Christ. When was the last time you made an effort to bring somebody to Christ? That is what we're here for. So that when that day does come, that person we say we love, that friend that we say we cherish, as we stand at the nail-scarred feet of the Savior, they can look over at us and say, thank you for telling me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for going. I don't know about you, but it takes all the machinations and stuff of the church business that we do here, very small. And we should be praying, thy kingdom come. It will come. We need to pray thy will be done. He will do his will one day, but we can do it now. And we should live and do his will and embody his kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's bow together, standing together. When was the last time, as you take a moment again and reflect in the quietness of your heart, when was the last time you shared Christ with somebody? Oh, preacher, that's your job. Yep, it is. It is my job. But guess what? It's your job too. When was the last time? You know, we get angry at church because we don't like the color of the carpet or we don't like 
my haircut or we don't like something else and we get all bent out of shape and we fuss and fight and fume. When was the last time we got angry over people dying and going to hell? That should make us angry. That should twist us up. Because they're being led by the ultimate loser, the devil and his minions. They will lose. We just read the book. If you know Christ as Savior, you're one. W-O-N. You are one by Christ. And I guess if you want to couch it in those terms, you will win ultimately one day through Christ. But how can you and I go through this world with that knowledge and that blessing and not bring everybody we humanly can with us? And West Concord Baptist Church, that's what we're here for. We're not here to have a religious museum. We're not here to have a traditional institution. This is my church. We do it my way. Boy, if that's your way, you need to go. There are 83 other churches you can go to. West Concord Baptist Church ought to be here and exist for one purpose and one purpose only. To build the saints for the work of the ministry. And that ministry, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I beg you this morning to place your confidence in him. Listen, understand this. We cannot earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to be good enough to go to heaven. As I said earlier, we were all born sinners. We're all born lost. And because of that, even our best efforts are tainted and sullied with our own sin. That's why Jesus came. God clothed himself in flesh, lived among his creation, and, 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 and experienced the ultimate unfairness. He died for your sin and my sin. He committed no sin. But when he died on the cross, he was nailed there because of me and because of you. And he did that because he loves us so desperately. He loves you. And I urge you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, come to him this morning. Confess your sin. Own your sinfulness. Own the fact that because of your sinfulness, you can't earn heaven. There's nothing you can do. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't, you can't do anything. It, it comes when you just completely surrender and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do. I cast my full faith and confidence, my full weight of eternity upon Jesus as my Savior. And yes, it's more than just believing in him. It's believing on him. Place your confidence in him. The moment you do that, God saves you and gives you everlasting life. And from that point forward, you're able to walk with him. You have a relationship with him. As you yield, you can have fellowship with him. And you get a purpose. And that purpose is to reflect his glory and bring others who are lost to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted him, trust him this morning. If you do know Christ, you're here for a purpose, and that's the main purpose. We come to church so we can encourage each other, so we can hear the word, so we can get pumped, motivated, and equipped to go out and do kingdom work. That's how his kingdom comes on earth until his literal kingdom actually comes to earth. So who are you telling about Christ? When was the last time you shared the gospel? Find somebody this week and sit down and lovingly share the gospel with them.
bring them to Christ. I thank you all so much for being here every week. May God bless us. Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, I have, never have, and never will deserve anything from you. Father, standing in my own shell, I'm a broken, fallen sinner, deservant of hell. But Father, you sent your son to die for me. You sent Jesus to take the blame for, for sins he didn't commit. He paid for crimes he didn't commit. And he paid a debt he didn't owe. Father, thank you for saving me through Christ and faith in him. I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice, watching online, listening on the podcast, if they don't know Christ, they would trust him this, 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 at this moment. And Lord, I pray for this church and my brothers and sisters of this church. I pray that you would break our hearts this morning. I pray that you would change West Concord Baptist Church and turn us into a firebrand going out and sharing the gospel. Bless each man and each woman, each child. Bless each Sunday school teacher, each deacon, each staff member. Whatever we do, I pray that we would do it with the goal of drawing people to you. May you be honored and glorified. And Father, we do pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until your kingdom literally comes, may it spiritually be present in this people. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.